Good morning. How you all doing? I had my uh, big weekend. Uh, we had the Contrarian Summit. That's why you see no cars in your immediate front of my monitor. I got to move my cars back. But uh, it was a marathon weekend for me. Great time meeting finally some of my students in my other program. Hopefully some of you guys will upgrade uh, to the Contrarian. Anyhow, hope you're safe and well. We're going to give a few minutes for you guys to join, uh, hop on the stream yard, and then I'm going to have Logan read your questions and get this week's session started. And um, good morning, Suraj and Facebook user. Anyhow, uh, yeah, uh, got Logan with me again, and I'll turn it over to him, and uh, we'll get this started. All right. Good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Another great week ahead. And we did have a smaller amount of questions submitted this week. So go ahead, start dropping questions in the comments as well. I'm sure we'll be getting to them um, about halfway through the call. And we'll go ahead and give a quick shout out to some of the new members who joined as well. Uh, we had Andres hop into the group this past week. Uh, David, Christian, Ryan, Welcome to all four of you. Um, excited to be a part of this journey with you guys. And if you haven't already, go in the group, post yourself, introduce yourself, where you live, what you're looking to accomplish, and uh, let's get connected with other members. Welcome, guys. All right. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and kick it off as a few more people hop in. Good morning, Salome, Eric, Eddie, Suraj. Good morning to you guys. We will start the day off with uh, Suraj. We have your questions here. So first question from him, he mm -hmm. asked, if I have good cash flow from my first commercial investment, commercial property, at mm -hmm. a 14 to 15% cap rate, which is good, um, and I also have good income from my primary profession, which is not real estate related, then for my next real estate venture, would you su just suggest I sell the first property and get into something larger scale? or keep the first property and get a second commercial property and then keep acquiring more and more properties versus consolidating into one larger property compared to two smaller or medium sized properties. Wow. First of all, congrats. That's a pretty high cap rate. Uh, if you got that high of a cap rate, I would say do a cash out refi, pull as much equity as you can out of that great property of yours and then just buy other value add deals where you can add value, increase the uh, income, thereby increase your equity in a second property. Um, I don't like selling and exchanging into another property if you only got one property. And the reason is there is not that many great value add deals out there. And the minute you're gonna sell that property, uh, the clock is gonna be ticking. You have 45 days to identify your next replacement property. And you're gonna be a stressed out and it's very difficult to find the property at a 14 cap. I'm assuming you're gonna set up probably at the eight cap, but still, um, if it's a cash cow, just tap the equity, pull the money out and buy another property and build your portfolio. All right, and then follow up question from Suraj. In triple net leases, if I have a property management company, usually it is standard that commercial triple net tenants mm -hmm. pay the property management fees, mm -hmm. question mark, two to 4% of the rent. Or usually triple net leases don't allow for property management fees to be paid by the tenant. And it's always landlord responsibility. So overall, he's asking if you have a triple net tenant, 
do they pay for property management or does the landlord pay? Very good question. If it's a single tenant, very likely there is no management fee allowed in that single tenant lease. But if it's a multi-tenant, triple net retail property, absolutely. It's customary that you absorb that 2 to 3% of gross revenue as management fee in your triple net charges. And uh, tenants happily pay that. All I don't right. know about happily, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question from Magnus. Um, he said, seems like commercial real estate prices nationally are at highs and good value add deals are getting increasingly scarce, even mm -hmm. against the worsening macroeconomic conditions. Assuming we continue to have inflation and the Fed continues to slowly raise rates without completely tanking the economy, what mm -hmm. property types and MSAs do you think are best positioned for growth this year, despite all the headwinds? Well, Magnus, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there seems to be a very short inventory of value-add deals or just good properties. Um, but I still like office. You know, office is going to recover. Uh, and what markets, you ask? I would stick to Houston, Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth, um, Austin, San Antonio, basically Texas. Okay. Um, that state's going to do really well uh, in the next three, four years. Um, you guys seen oil prices up. There's a, a very big pressure on domestic drilling and becoming an energy independent. And uh, so I, I would say number one state demographically, I would say Texas. And then second would be Arizona. And then third would be Southern California. Southern California is on fire, especially San Diego, Orange County. Uh, they're very resilient and there's a lot of tech moving down here, especially in San Diego. So those are the markets, but by office, you can still find value add in office because it's one asset class that's not being loved. And uh, as a contrarian, that's what I'd be buying. All right, uh, next question from WatchTech. Hi, Manny, I have a tenant that is a pain in the ass and do not want to <laughs> renew his lease. How would you approach telling a tenant you would not renew after their lease expires? Well, you give them a 30-day notice. Uh, make sure you read the lease or have an attorney review the lease. Uh, there is definitely uh, notice provisions in there. Um, typically, it's 30 days. But if the tenant's been there month to month, if it's multifamily and they've been there month to month in California at least uh, for two years, then you've got to give them a 60-day notice. So there is some laws when it comes to residential tenants. If it's commercial, it's pretty uh, black and white and just read the lease. It usually is a 30-day notice. All right, our next question from Jonathan Nguyen. He said, hello, Manny, have you ever bought a property contingent on you getting a tenant? He said, I found a strip with a bunch of mom and pops. I was going to try to secure the location with a contract contingent mm -hmm. on a credit tenant agreeing to take some of the space, but didn't know how to present this to the seller. No, I've never done that. And I don't know any seller would really take a contingency um, purchase. And the reason being is it's contingent upon you, uh, upon you finding either a tenant or finding another property, right? In this case, you want to go get a credit tenant and you're telling the seller, the only reason I'm going to perform um, is if I have a tenant in tow, that's going to occupy your property. So you don't want to, you know, uh, take risk before you securing that tenant most sellers will not uh, you know cooperate on that level 
Um, again, if it's a very motivated seller and he's been trying to sell that for three, four years and the building is, you know, uh, it's got very high vacancy, maybe, maybe, I mean, everything's negotiable. Um, the nice thing is you get, uh, it costs you nothing to ask. So put it in there, send it and see what happens. But I've never done that before. And most sellers are reluctant to tie up the property on a contingency. All right. Uh, next question from Samar. Uh, where do you research to identify trends for local geography? In other words, how do you identify demographic trends such as population increasing or decreasing cost of living, average income, age, et cetera, for a particular county and city? Well, Google is your best friend. Uh, Google it. There are a lot of sites that track the demographics nationwide. Um, if you don't get a clear report, you can always go to LoopNet, Crexy, CodeStar, and just put that zip code in. And there's going to be a ton of properties for sale. And almost all those properties are going to have an OM attached to it for sale. And when you click on the OM, towards the end of the report is where brokers will, uh, you know, shed some color on the demographic of that submarket. And it's all in there. Population trend for 2020, 2025. What's going to population going to be within one, three, five mile radius? Uh, also, the, the uh, you know average household income. All right, and then uh, he followed up with another question, mm -hmm. saying it is common in Virginia for a low-rise commercial building, which typically looks like a condo or townhome, to have two separate units for commercial occupancy. Each unit has multiple tenants, and each unit is sold separately. Would you advise purchasing just one unit with multiple tenants or do we need to be looking at a separate physical building in totality? Hmm. I'm a bit confused. I think you're describing just the industrial or office condo. Um, if they're separately parceled and separately deeded and there's multiple tenants in it, those are called condos. Um, unless is separately deeded, separately parceled and is freestanding, so he has his own APN, his own utilities. Then it's just an office building on its own. I think that's what you mean. But I wouldn't go buy a bunch of condos. Doesn't make sense. All right. Uh, our next questions are from Khalid, uh, one of our newer members. Thanks for engaging. He said, in some states like um, Minnesota, Virginia, New York, it is common for commercial properties to be from 1980s. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend such data properties or is there a cutoff that we should be thinking about? Well, it's the nature of the beast. That area uh, was developed in the 80s. So most of the properties you're going to see are going to be from that era. Nothing wrong with it. I actually like to buy older buildings and transport them and transform them by doing remodel, exterior facade, paint, landscape. Um, if there is a way to do exposed ceiling to get higher ceiling height. Uh, if it's office, industrial, that's what usually attracts uh, higher rents, uh, ceiling heights. Um, newer construction tend to be more expensive, and there is not much you can uh, add in terms of value physically. So I actually like older buildings. All right. And then his next question, when looking at properties, should we disregard properties below 8% cap? Uh, cap rate, or mm -hmm. are there circumstances where you will make exceptions? Absolutely. Um, if it, it's, you know, relevant, right? It, the occupancy is relevant. If it's 100% occupied and it's 8.5 cap, 
believe it or not, I wouldn't buy it unless I can name it medical building. It's an office building with a bunch of medical tenants and it's not called medical plaza. Boom, call it medical plaza and rename it and resell it, relist it as a medical asset. And now you can sell it at a seven and a half cap. Uh, very rare case, but I did that in Arizona with Green Gables. Uh, it was a four-story office. I bought those medical tenants in there. I renamed it and sold it. Made a couple of million bucks, uh, flipping it in six to eight months. Uh, but normally, if it's you know seven cap and you're at sixty five percent occupancy, I would still look at it because you have thirty five percent vacancy, and by the time you stabilize that asset, you're going to be you know in the double digit cap. So it's relevant to what the occupancy is. All right. Um, then our last question that was sent in before we hop over to the comments mm -hmm. is from Zoran. He said, hi, Manny, did you ever hire subcontractors on your own? Also, when you did use general contractors in the beginning, did you get more than one quote for the projects? And how did you know if the bids were competitive and not overcharged? Very good question. Yeah, I do subs all the time. On the bare property, I have probably six or seven subs. Uh, landscaper, you got painter, you got the fountain, uh, you know, irrigation. Um, you got roofer. Uh, I got a bunch of subs. I got drywall. Uh, I get multiple bids. I, if it's anything over 50 grand, I get three bids. If it's below, I just get two bids. And if it's under 10 grand, I don't even get a second bid. Uh, but that's me because my projects are multi million dollar remodel. Uh, if you guys are doing a remodel, kitchen remodel, something residential or even a smaller commercial building, I absolutely uh, recommend getting at least two beds on everything. And you'll find out if it's competitive or not, right? If one comes at 5,000 and the other one is at 6,000, well, they're pretty competitive beds. But if it, one's at 11,000 and you get a bed for 4,500 for the same job, then you obviously know the first guy was overshooting and overcharging. So definitely get multiple bits. All right. Now we'll go ahead and hop over to the comments. Uh, and the first question is from Eric. Mm -hmm. He asked, what amenities do you include for your tenants in office spaces and retail centers? Yeah. Office uh, spaces, definitely a community conference room is huge because some of these are smaller footprint uh, tenants, like say a thousand feet, 1200 feet, 1500 feet. They don't have enough space to put their own conference room in their space and by you putting a you know community conference room or a building conference room that they can share it's a huge amenity to them because now they can take their meetings you know at the conference room and just book it that's one uh two is free internet uh, a lot of these are smaller tenants if it's 300 to 800 square feet they don't want to pay 200 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month for internet. So if you get a building internet and do a Wi-Fi, and I've done that before, and you can charge them 50 bucks a month for internet, uh, that actually becomes a pretty good, you know, uh, additional income. On Koshmin's Landing, I think I was making 1800 a month or so just off the internet because I had a lot of small uh, tenants in the building, and uh, I was charging them 75 up to 100 bucks a month for internet. And the internet was, you know, uh, the cost to the building was only 300 bucks a month for the entire building. So uh, I would say internet, uh, conference room, uh, if it's a very large building, office building, I would definitely do an on-site deli. Um, you want to be careful, don't do any cooking. 
So it would be cold sandwiches because the smoke will go through the entire building. Uh, those are some of the uh, some of the uh, amenities I would add. Um, on a retail center, I'm trying to say what amenities you could add. I mean, you could do some reserve parking uh, for the owner of the uh, property, you know, if it's a gym um, or if it's, you know, uh, a, a chiropractor or a doctor's office uh, in a retail space, you know, doctors like to have their own space because there's going to be a lot of in and out in the uh, retail center and they always want to have that reserve parking, but it's not much you can add to a retail center other than, you know, a uh, monument sign. Tenants love that. It's expensive, but by putting that, uh, that's a huge amenity exposure for tenants. Uh, that's really it. All right. Uh, and then good morning to you, Craig. Message in there. One of our other newer members. Good to see you here. Um, next question is from Eddie again. He said, hi, Manny. Can you please provide some examples for value add for industrial properties? Industrials. Yeah, I haven't done that much industrial value add. Um, I had about a million square feet in Houston flex a space industrial and warehouses and what i did on some of those was a smooth stucco paint the facade and landscaping um not much you can do to it um now if it's uh got drop ceilings and you want to do exposed ceiling again getting that extra one two three foot height uh in the ceiling it, it's magic it does magic with tenants they i don't know for some reason they just first of all if they're distribution center they have racks and they'll be able to store more, uh, more supplies. But more than anything, they just like that open, you know, volume uh, in their space, uh, a lot more so than retail or office. So those are some of the things, but I, there's not much you can really add value. You can't put a conference room in there or a deli. <laughs> it's industrial. All right. Uh, our next question from Salome. She said, Manny, I have not had any luck, probably like many others, to find any deals on LoopNet, Zillow, or Redfin for multifamily property in the SoCal area. Mm -hmm. Where do you suggest I look for my first property? Should I be calling brokers and asking that they know any potential properties that haven't made it to the MLS yet? I'm in hustle mode, but haven't found anything to bite into. Yeah, that's a tough market uh, to find deals in multifamily because it's so hot. They're selling in very low cap rates and it's often um you know that they've already milked the cow that rents have gone up probably past five years every year and uh that's one i would be careful buying but if you're really set in stone of buying multifamily and you have to buy in southern california um i would say go to a broker that does a lot of multifamily uh and you can find them on loopnet just go put the territory you're looking for long beach San Diego, I don't know what market you're looking for, but and just see who has got multiple listings. Call them and tell them, look, I'm looking for a deal. Uh, do you have any uh, sellers you sold to, uh, buyers you sold to in the past three years that you could reach out, see if they want to uh, sell? So that would be a pocket listing. It would create and sell it to you. That's one avenue. Uh, other than that, multifamily is extremely hard uh, to find that a reasonable deal you know that's just difficult in, in in this era 
And to add on top of that, if it's okay, we are seeing that most of our members finding deals, 80% of it is through brokers. Mm -hmm. So that would be a better use of your time to be connecting with brokers rather than searching through different listing sites. Absolutely. Um, all right. Next question from Michael. He said, there's a two-story office building in my market, total about 14,500 square feet. Mm -hmm. The second floor is roughly 7,250 square feet, totally open floor plan. Is there a rough cost per foot cost estimate to divide that area into four or five smaller office spaces? There's demand for smaller executive suite and individual office spaces. Man, that's uh, impossible to answer without looking at the site plan or uh, walking the property. Uh, definitely reach out to an architect locally um, for a few hundred bucks. Uh, you know, they could probably assess the property and give you some ideas. What's the least expensive way to accomplish what you want to do. All right. Uh, next question from Eric, Eric Regal. Good to see you. He said, what is your approach to risk taking? Do you leverage the price more with less risky properties and use more cash for more risky properties? Oh, I'm all in, <laughs> uh, to short answer. Yes. Uh, properties that are stabilized uh they do you know debt service for a lot higher loan amount so i do tend to refinance pull out money from those assets and then properties that are distressed i typically buy them cash uh we're buying one in houston right now cash i bought 333 uh north sam houston the 12-story building i bought that cash for 7.25 million in last december um and now i'm getting ready to add my value lease it up and towards the end of this year pull some money out of it but typically yes uh stabilize assets cash out refi and then buy super distressed cash or with a bridge loan all right uh then our next question is from suraj he said uh manny when you remodel flooring mm -hmm. can i ask you what sort of flooring you usually go for in investment commercial office buildings he said uh linoleum vinyl LVP, hardwood, etc. All I'm trying to see is your take on spending more initially or lower grade stuff to try and save money. Where in the spectrum you usually go, um, especially if it's not your own owner user property. Good question. Um, high rise buildings. You want to? I I do the uh, carpet squares. Um, that's what typically it's used in Class A high rise office buildings. They don't use vinyl. But on the low-rise garden, like Kashmir's Landing, even though it was on the water, I use vinyl plaques, and it looked just like wood. They make those so good now, and um, and it looks just like natural wood even when you walk on it. But I would spend the money on the padding uh, because if you're doing hardwood, vinyl, whatever you're using, the, definitely you want to make sure you reduce that noise, um, you know, definitely on upper floors because when people walk around, you definitely hear it. So spend the money in panning, but consult with a flooring company. Definitely go with what's the least expensive uh, vinyl or plaque that looks like natural wood. That's what I've been using and looks great. All right. Um, second question from Eddie. What's the rule as to who pays for tenant improvements, owner versus person leasing? Yeah, it depends. Uh, typically, if it's retail, um, 
the tenant puts their own TIs in there. Very rarely you pitching for TIs. Um, if it's a small uh, tenant, if it's national credit tenant, they just want a white box. Like I'm doing one right now with the furniture store that have 360 locations. I'm leasing 20,000 square feet in Pennsylvania to them. So I'm just giving them two months free rent, white box this space, make sure the HVACs are in good working condition and voila, they're going to spend all their money and building out the space uh, to their own uh, spec. But office building, different story. Office building, 99% of the time, the landlord's on the hook uh, to give the tenant some TI allowance, whether you do it or the tenant does it, comes out of the landlord's pocket. All right, uh, next question from George. If you had a very mismanaged functioning motel with lots of value add from marketing to renovating, would you one, stabilize the motel, two, turn to small, low income housing or studios, mm -hmm. one and two bedrooms, uh, lots of rehab, of course, three, knock it down and redevelop, or four, assign to another investor and take a small chunk of cash and move on. Um, and then he followed up and said, by the way, I have negotiated a possible seller carry back with great terms, tentative, but she's open to it. Hmm. Well, you threw a lot of things at me there. I don't know the market. Um, what's the market rents for, you know, multifamily? Uh, that's the first thing I would check. Um, and what's the market for, you know, the land value? Um, you know, that's pretty easy to check. Um, and if the land value is great, I would just buy it, rent it out as residential, uh, repurpose the property to residential, and then sell it to a developer a couple of years down the line. But as soon as you got, um, you know, tenants in there paying rent, now you can do a refi with low rate, pay the seller back on the seller carry back, and then focus on selling it to a developer if the land value is there. Otherwise, sounds like, you know, you got a great deal motivated seller that's willing to carry the loan and uh, just do your comps on rental uh, rates for residential to see if it pans out. All right. Uh, next question from Victoria. She asked, does anyone in this group have industrial space in Houston, Texas with higher power for crypto mining operations? Huh? I've been having a hard time finding space with enough power. All right. You lost me there. I have no idea. <laughs> well, the electric rate is pretty high. Um, in Houston, it's not so bad. It's like four cents a kilowatt. But I'm heard, I heard in Washington and Oregon is lower. That's why a lot of miners go there. All right. Uh, another question from Suraj. He said, during general inspection on an investment office building, if the inspector finds any code issues, mm -hmm. like in the bathrooms, Legally, am I obligated to get it fixed to code and it'll cost significant money to fix? Or since I didn't make make those changes and I leave as is, would that be okay? Yeah, it depends. The city can't force you to bring it to ADA compliant uh, to the extent it's a burden on the property owner. But if the property is you know 80, 90% occupied, you're probably grandfathered in. But if it's 50% occupied, when you go uh, to submit your tenant improvement plans to the city, they'll definitely make you start doing it in phases. Um, that's typically how it's done. 
Um, and it's usually, I want to say 10% or 20% of the total TI, you're going to have to allocate to uh, ADA compliant uh, cost retrofits yeah, in the building. But I would say check with the city. Every city is different. All right. Uh, and that would do it for the questions we're seeing in the comments right now. Um, I do think it's a good time to take the opportunity to announce to you guys after having the Contrarian Summit over the weekend, we've been getting a lot of questions for the Commercial Masterclass event, which we're also very excited for. Uh, and we're going to have an official date for that this week and be sending out to everyone. Yes. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Excited to see you guys and meet you in person and then a lot of fun. So we'll come up with a date and uh, circulate that. And with that said, uh, you have one more question? Uh, yeah, another question popped up. And then to just go off of what Manny was saying, if any of you were not aware of that and uh, you are interested in the in-person event, uh, definitely contact us. You can interest or uh, you can reach out to our team at contact at manycostman.com by email and then we'll um, conversate with you from there. Uh, so the last question that was dropped from Siraj is, he said, if there is a commercial property that has, let's say, fallen out of escrow one or two times, if you ask the listing realtor why it fell out of escrow one or two times, are they legally obligated to tell us the true reason or they don't need to tell us the real reason, especially if it was a property issue during due diligence and inspections? No, they have a fiduciary responsibility to the extent they know about it. They have to disclose it. Um, and typically they will. Awesome. Uh, and then while we have time, the last question was dropped by Ali. Um, good to see you as well. He said, could you update us on Houston properties? Yeah, Houston properties. So 390 Benmar, two-story building, 104,000 feet. Um, I'm opening escrow. It's going to be vacant. Buying it through bankruptcy court. Super excited. I'm going to fly out there to uh, do the tour um, next week. And then my 333 building, 12-story building, um, just got my beds in to do uh, start doing my white boxing of the vacancies and white boxing means you go in there you put new ceiling grid new flooring new paint um, so it's turnkey you know 1500 square feet to 3000 square feet spaces so i can quickly ramp up my lease up on those and that's going to be done in the next 60 days so i'm excited to start increasing my occupancy on that one that's about it but uh yeah, hopefully we'll get a few more in Houston. I'm, I'm actively looking to buy. So if you guys come across any great deals in Houston, Dallas uh, area, shoot it over to me. All right. Well, uh, with that said, this was great. Uh, you guys be safe, be well, and I'll see you guys next week. And we're going to circulate that uh, master class event uh, later this week. So look out for that. And I look forward to meeting you guys all. Take care.